This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 238. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, this week uh, on Monday, Filibuster Distillery put on a nice holiday party for 25 of us from the USBG, United States Bartenders Guild, the New York chapter. It was at Club Macanudo, so we had some nice cigars and some great whiskey. We'll talk to Sarab from the brand. His card just says, Whiskey Guy. Gotta love that. While at the event, I chatted with our buddy Craig Scheidello, whose career has just taken off over the last year or so. We'll talk with Craig in just a minute about bartending and competitions and uh, working with brands and more. So first we'll do a book of the week, and it's Bourbon Curious by Fred Mittick. This book gets into serious detail about bourbon with an exploration of many brands broken down into categories. Categories like grain forward, nutmeg forward, caramel forward, cinnamon forward. Then there's select limited edition and special releases. My favorite chapter, however, is how to taste bourbon. This chapter gives great practical information about how to taste and even gives you homework in the form of worksheets like what are your top 10 memories and what are the aromas associated with them. There's also a long list of flavors that you can expect to smell and taste in bourbon. Everything from allspice all the way down to white pepper. Of course, we'll have a link to the book on bartenderjourney.net in the show notes. Anytime you use one of those Amazon links on bartenderjourney.net helps out the show just a little bit. It doesn't cost you any extra, whether you buy the book or product we suggested or something else in that sort of session after buy, after clicking through from bartenderjourney.net to Amazon. helps out the show just a little bit and it doesn't cost you any extra. All right, let's do a cocktail of the week. I found this in the Speakeasy book from the Employees Only Bar, but they say in the book that the bar manager, Robert Kruger, found the recipe in an old book from the 1930s called Booth's Cocktail Book. It's called the New Yorker. They take an ounce and three quarters of a high proof rye. They use Wild Turkey 101. One ounce freshly squeezed lemon juice. Three quarters ounce simple syrup. They put that into a Collins glass with ice and give that a brief shake right in the glass, a short shake as we say. Top it with three ounces of club soda. I, use, I love to use my ISI soda siphon, by the way. That's a, that's a great device, great gift if you're looking for a gift or uh, fun to use at your bar or your home bar. Then float three quarters of an ounce of dry red wine on top. So this is a New York sour with the addition of club soda. Nice drink, very festive looking, and uh, will look nice around uh, the holidays if you want to pour, pour some of those. All right, let's talk to Craig Scheidello. They're at the Club Macanudo. Great event. Love it. And uh, with very good friend of the show and very good friend personally, Craig Scheidello. How you doing, my friend? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. So I just wanted to, you've been on the show before, but you're career is just taken off in what the last year or so yeah what do you uh, attribute that to uh honestly just non-stop work <laughs> constantly being at places and um networking the right way and you know applying myself and trying to take every opportunity i can to grow yeah and utilize that to further my career well you joined the usbg i think about a year ago right yeah, or actually, a year and a half to be exact. Okay. And started competing about, about, about a year ago? Yeah. So I had my first competition um, December 5th. That was my first real competition. I took one before then, but I don't consider that because I didn't really know what I was doing, and I just yeah. kind of like yeah, yeah. showed up, and that's what got me to join the USBG in the first place. All right. But yeah, a year ago would be my first real competition. So I, I, I think 
the message is for anybody who's, uh, you know, looking to up their bartending game, maybe get into brand work like you have over the last couple, uh, last year or so is, yeah. number one, join USBG. Number two, start competing, right? Do Enter these competitions. 100%. Um, I would definitely say put yourself out there. You know, yeah. it's not always about winning. That's no the way. thing that I uh, like to stress the most. You know, it's about bettering yourself. So when you're competing, you're always competing against the bartender that you were the day before. Mm. And as long as you can beat that bartender and learn your reasons why the competition was a success. You win some, you learn some, um, you don't ever lose. No, every, every competition I've ever done, and I've never actually won one, but every time I go, I'm like, I'm not a loser. I'm like, look, at, look at what happened. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm staying at this hotel, they're taking us out to dinner, to drinks and everything else. Like, I, <laughs> I'm a, I, I lost? I don't think so. What did I lose? Exactly. And you're at the discretion of the judges. Yeah. You know, and something that I learned early is like, look, your cocktails always catered to the judges. It's mm -hmm. just like creating a cocktail for somebody at your bar that right. you specialize just for them. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they absolutely love it and sometimes they love others more. But I, I think it's and honest, honestly, here's the secret. I think it's less about the cocktail and more about your presentation. <laughs> I think that it is. Yes. I, I've been in a situation where my presentation was absolutely stellar and the cocktail was mediocre and they cho yeah. choose the better cocktail. Yeah. But if your cocktail is slightly worse yeah. and your presentation is on point and you're able to speak and command the room. And, and the judges are having a good time. Correct. The judges are having a good time. That's, uh, that's, exactly. that's the key. And competitions is the, honestly the way to network the best and grow. Yeah, they give you Definitely. the publicity. They give you the <clears throat> exposure. network, the exposure. Well, you won one, and you you took a trip trip to Russia. That's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> a lot has happened since the last time we talked, which is wild. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I went to Russia, and ever since then things went crazy. You know, I represent two different brands now. I represent Virgil Kane, an amazing um, whiskey company out of South Carolina. And then I represent Torres, which is another brand very close to my heart. Um, they're the reason why I hopped over to New York. So it's an amazing honor to be able to work with them as well. And nice. um, my own company that I started now and, you know, starting to do my own personal events where people are reaching out to me for that stuff, which is from a year and a half ago where no one even knew who I was to that, how I am today. It's just been, it's been an honor. Yeah. Well, it's it's been amazing to witness your uh, your growth, my friend. Because uh, you know, all over social media, everywhere I look, there you are. <laughs> That's humbling. Thank look, you. You know, looking I'm... good, dressing <laughs> dressing fancy, and uh, you do it. You're doing amazingly well. So, so I appreciate that. I wouldn't have been able to do it without the great support of my friends, like yourself included. You know, people who saw something like that before it even happened. You know, it's about that friends that you make in the industry, and that's what really propels you. It's not, you know, how great you are. No. Um, it's about how you apply yourself and, and, like you said, put yourself out there. Exactly. And uh, I think, it, you know, a, a lot of our listeners that are in smaller markets, you, you know, just because you're in a smaller market, you're not in New York, doesn't mean you can't accomplish things in your own, in your own market and, and, and become a rock star, you know? No, like New York has definitely helped me and I will say there is a benefit to being to New York, but that doesn't mean that you can't be 
amazing in, in a smaller market. Like a lot of people um, tell me New Jersey was the worst market and I'm watching as another dear friend of mine, Carlos Ruz, who now is a rep for Johnny Walker Black and has traveled all over the world. Um, won the Hiradora competition in New York last year. Like you can be in smaller markets and still do something great. Absolutely. And, and those, those smaller markets, honestly, like those morning shows in a smaller market, they're looking for content anywhere they can get it. So. That they can. And it's an easy way for you to, um, you know, grow yourself is make those right. connections. And, right. you know, that's what it is. You know, in New York, you just have more connections that you can make. Yeah. Um, but learning how to make those connections and being yourself, you know, and that's something that's also really important. Right. Don't right. be fake. Like. Yeah, totally. Be. People. Uh, people see it a mile away exactly like be who you are and, and enjoy the ride because you're going to be going through some bumps you'll be going through some highs and through it all as long as you're yourself and you stay true and you keep your head down and work yeah. you can always grow yep yep well, awesome man well congratulations on on all your success and uh thanks you're, you're the best man it's great you're awesome like great great friend just knowing you has uh, been an honor Knowing you has been <laughs> just as equally of an honor, if not more. Like, see how much your podcast has grown and how much you've done and made an impact on this industry is just, well, it's been great. You, so. you know, seeing you at Tales, like, and being one of those yeah. people sitting down, like, helping teach a class on that is amazing. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun being part of a Tales seminar this year. I was very uh, excited to be able to list that. I remember when I listened to it, <laughs> yeah. so excited. Like, I was a kid in the candy store, like, wow, this is so cool. Like, to see, I remember listening to it before, like, I even met you. Yeah. And then that's actually how we met, because we met through a mutual friend that right. said, like, oh, you listen to the podcast? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Which is Hazel, who I remember meeting her at Mesa or at the Hendrix thing. Again, networking. Yeah. You know, yeah. which comes down to. Did, did you enter up, um, did you enter world class this year? Um, not yet. But I'm going so, to. Yeah, so just, Di Diageo World Class is one of the most prestigious uh, cocktail competitions in the world, really. I mean, it's yeah. international competition. And, yeah. And uh, remember, at the, I think it was at the last USBG meeting, James Minite, sitting right over here, came up to you and me and said, I want you and you to enter World Class. And I was like, okay. And, yeah. then, and then about a week later, my GM come up, comes up to me and says, have you entered any competitions lately? And I was like... Not lately, but I'm thinking about entering this one world class. She's like, she goes, you're entering. I said, okay. Now, you're on the hook, lady, for uh, when I need to take off and go places and do, you know, if I, if exactly. I advance in this thing, you're, uh, you're on the hook. So, so I ended up um, entering, so we'll see what happens. I'm sure that you'll do great, you know, and just being selected for something like that in and of itself is such a huge achievement. Yeah. Um, that's a competition that, for those of you who are listening, is a life-changing competition like the Picardi yeah. Legacy. Yeah. Um, both of those competitions are one of the biggest competitions you can enter, and no matter what you do, it propels your career. Absolutely. You know, it just being at the local thing, you could place last in the local thing, but the fact that you got selected totally. and were there gives you that exposure, gives you that network. You're in front of those people that make those decisions. Yeah. And you might not win this year, but you know what they're looking for. You pay attention to it, and then you can give them what they want next year and then you advance further that's um for those of you that want kind of a little bit of material to look into for yourself um uh inspiration to myself and i'm sure you as well is chris cardone like yeah. coming from yeah. a basic um bar in the beginning to becoming a flair bartender to then 
diving into the world of mixology, then combining the two and being one of the first bartenders to combine the two, flair and mixology, which has just been something that, you know, I dreamed of and didn't even know existed until I saw Chris. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. I know. And to see that has been such an inspiration. And I got to know who he was because he entered this competition year after year. He didn't win the first couple of years. And then he something clicked and he did incredibly well last year yeah and because of that i went to his flare class yeah and i got a chance to learn some new oh, moves I'm so sorry i missed that and that's an opportunity that wouldn't have been happened for him had he not ever entered those competitions because diageo was the one that put him in front of that classroom right and that's something that even i shy for myself and i'm sure you included little things like that, you know, something of just like, I'm going to commit myself to something. Yeah. And those little, those little flare moves that you make that are, you know, just very subtle, but you know, it, that makes you a little different than somebody else who might make, you know, and then, and then that's what propels you to the next opportunity and the next and the next, you know? Exactly. Like people think of flare, like throwing bottles and this and that. Yeah. And it's usually not like as intricate as you think, most people probably have a little bit of flair in their game, especially if you enter competitions yeah. that you won't even think are flair, that I didn't even know that I did that was flair until I took that class. I'm like, well, it's, oh, a, it's so simple as even if, you know, you have the Hawthorne strainer over your thing and then you just lift it up as the last few drops are coming off, you know, you yeah. probably do that too, you know, and, and that's, that's a flare. very simple, I don't even know if you can call that flair, but it's a very simple move that looks kind of cool and people are like, what is that guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> so like, Flair is just something that makes something look really unique and cool. That's right. flair. Yeah. And that's the definition that Chris told me, at least. Uh-huh. So I was like, wow, like even like certain things of the, when you finish pouring out that drink and you flip your wrist yeah. up and yeah. the shaker really quickly, right above the glass, something that you could do and apply it while you're bartending every day is flair and is and, amazing. And, and a lot of them even make sense from a, from a service uh, standpoint, like yeah. li- you know, bumping the bottle, like so you're making three vodka sodas, <laughs> and you, and you, you you know, so you have the three glasses line up right next to each other. You pour the first with a with the speed pourer. Yep, that's that's how I work at my bar, speed pourer. So one, two, three, four, five. You just raise that bottle just a tiny bit. Yep, bump it before you get. So it puts that little air bubble, uh, and it doesn't spill any while you move on to the next glass. And it looks cool, but it has a functional um, uh, application. Yeah, and that was something that was stressed a lot. And again, how how did I learn this? It's by going to classes. Like everything that I've learned is putting myself out there and making sure that I go to every single event. If I have the opportunity to grow, I take that opportunity. You know, like it's incredible. I get to go out and usually you see the same people over and over again. You know, those are your friends that are growing. And it's funny to see the same people that enter these competitions and win are the ones that are taking these classes, learning. Again, also not only networking, but bettering yourself. We have so many opportunities here in New York, and it's, um, I think it's easy for people in smaller markets to, to think that they don't have the opportunities, but they do, and there's people that have, there's brand ambassadors that cover an entire region, and if you reach out to them, you know, yeah, it's easy for them to stay in New York or D.C. or Chicago, but their region covers, you know, Cincinnati and these, you know, these other mid-sized markets, 
and they and people should know that 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 there's resources available, whether it's USBG or the brands. There's opportunities out there. And that's great. And something that I de definitely want to at least cover because a lot of you are like, well, I don't know who the brand ambassador is or right. I've never met them. Like, I don't yeah, even yeah. know how to get in contact with right. them. And that's something that I struggled with early in my career. Right. Now that I've and you were just in, across the river in Jersey. Yeah. And it was <laughs> difficult. I was like, I don't even know. Um, and even if you're not the ordering manager or, you know, have a say in, in the cocktail program, but you want to learn, you know, it's easy for you to reach out to your manager and say, hey, can I come in to ask about the rep that right. represents you need to talk to the rep. this brand we already work with and reach out to that person, get yeah. their email and say, hey, can you put an event in my area so I can learn more about your products? Yeah. Most brands are happy. They It's that's part of their, their job. job. That's their job. <laughs> to spend money to get you to learn about their brand. And that's yeah. how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to excel and that's how you're going to progress. So you don't need to have you know, be the more ordering manager or right. um, technically the access to the sales rep. Just right. go out and ask for that. That's and the first way. And then the second way, USBG. <laughs> yeah, and being in the USBG, you know, the one thing that I struggled with that really upset me was in my chapter, we had a couple of events, but it wasn't like In the it New is Jersey chapter. In the yeah. New Jersey chapter, yeah. but right across the river, yeah. there was twice as many events. Yeah. So if you are in a chapter that is like that, which isn't very often because most chapters are pretty active because they want to be active, um, you can reach out to the USBG as well. That'd probably be USBG just as national. great. Yeah, you, you, national. Say national. something to national. Yeah. Or you can reach out to your local chapter and say, hey, can we set up these events? Can you put me in contact? You can get active in your chapter and become that leader and that change in your chapter to create your market to be better. Exactly. You know, the one thing that I say um, more than anything else is like, take action. You know, that time you're sitting on your couch watching TV, take a second during a commercial if you need that time to rest. Email your chapter and get involved during those little times that two to three minutes will make the biggest difference well that's the thing it's a it's a it's a club USBG is a club so which means who's in charge the members you know exactly. somebody somebody has to take charge and it's it's easy for us here in New York because there's so many great people like James willing to take charge and, and set things up but on the other hand being that guy that set things up elevates your career like hundredfold you know um, it's funny that he, what he, he literally say? says that, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm James, waiting. James to, heard us talking about him. Um, yeah, and, you know, somebody in the New York chapter that does such an incredible job is James Manite. You know, it's funny yes, that sir. he just said that, because that's what I was thinking what going did he say? through my mind. Hear. He's like, Get, you know, don't forget about me. Um, one of, I think, the greatest vice presidents that I've witnessed has been James, because he is that active. He wants to put the events out. Oh, yeah. And my growth has a lot to do with people like him that are out there that put these things right together. Um, and I, <laughs> now you know, running away. him. All of a sudden he's shy. <laughs> <laughs> That's him though, you know, he, he wants to do everything humble, but he doesn't Humble like. gentleman. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. <laughs> um, great job. But yeah, there's always something you can do. Yeah. You know, never create the excuse, well I can't. You know, the one thing that I learned um, in my martial arts career, if you've listened to my previous podcast, is always there's always a solution. There's always a way to advance. Yeah. You know, and using that kind of mentality is how I've progressed. You know, there's right. always a way. You always have to take a, a 
a dance. You know, it's like a salsa dance. Sometimes you take a few steps forward, sometimes you take a few steps back, but you always try to continue to move forward. Right. And even if you've taken those few steps back, it's just as easy to take a few steps forward again. Well, cheers to you, my friend. Cheers to you. Always a pleasure. Always is. And uh, looking forward to our next drink. We got 12 other things to do today, so I won't keep you any longer. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Next, we'll talk to the host of the event at Club Macanudo from Filibuster Distillery. So, my name is Sarab Dilavri. I work for Filibuster. It's a family-owned company. My father started it. My brother runs it. I help them. So, we've got a couple of SKUs in the market. We've got a bourbon, a rye, and the boondoggler, like you said. All my products, they're really our take on whiskeys. We do 30,000 cases a year. The company has been out there for about seven years now. Uh, we started with a, with a dual cask bourbon. So the way we do our things inside our distillery is we're a pallet up approach. We created a whiskey which is pallet up. Uh, we started with the finishing program, the blending program, and then the distilling program. So my whiskeys are all about dual casking, like we spoke about. Uh, my bourbon is aged in two French casks. Uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. It's a balanced approach to whiskey making. Turns out there was a little problem with my microphone during this interview. The on switch was switched to the off position. But uh, I figured that out a little while later. But I I pointed out, I said, uh, obviously to be called a bourbon, it has to be aged first in a brand new charred oak barrel. Right, right. Absolutely. So it starts it it starts with with the mash bill first. So the mash bill that we use is 75% corn, 21 rye and 4 malted barley. Then we blended, we blend four and six years together. And then we uh, historically are aging in white American oak. And then after they're done four and six years, we, we, we finish them in two French casks. So you're absolutely... That's separate? They're, they're it, it, separately and then blended together? That's correct. So we, took, we take two blends of uh, four years and six years that are aging in white American oak and then finish it in two French casks. So if you, if you think about it, we're, we're doing a blending program at the finishing level and also at the disting level. So half the distilleries, they stop at, uh, let's say they take a blend between four and six years, and then they stop. Right. Um, they finish it, our programs of finishing is also taking, taking um, a finished approach, a medium variety finished approach, where we're aging it in, in half um, Chardonnay and half in uh, Pinot Noir. So just to be clear, after it's aged in the brand new... Um, White American oak, yes. It, it can be called bourbon at that point. Absolutely. But you're taking this additional step. Right. Of right. Aging it in, um, in two French casks, correct. To make it... Um, More mass appealing. Um, if you look at how blending happens, right, think of Bordeaux. Um, the way they start is by taking a, a conscious end of uh, conscious blends of two. Right? The idea is to create a balance at every level. Half of the world stops at blending at the distilling level and forget about the rest. We create a blend towards the end of the finishing program um, in aging them in two French casks. A program like ours, where we're taking fruitness from French casks, we're taking fruitness from, um, in, in such a way that white gives you butterness, red gives you some caramel flavors to it, caramel notes to it. So if you look at our whiskeys, uh, and both of them, my rye and bourbon, you look at my bourbon and it gives you nuances of both the casks. And also we take them out from white American oak, and then we push them into two French casks. So whiskey at that point in time is also open, opening up. You know, with the whole oxidation taking various nuances out of the whiskey, it makes it more mellow, more easy, and, and, and the fruitness, nothing but expands on the fruitness 
um, of the French casks. Now my whiskey, the way it happens is after it's done aging in um, four and six years in white American oak, we put them out, wet them together uh, in a tort, and then fractionally aged them in, in white and red for 60 to 90 days. So there are various steps of this. So after white American oak, 78 hours in just torts, and then six to eight months in, in French casks. Filibuster puts their mash bill right on the labels, which I think is a great idea. Um, I'll take you back a little bit about that. Um, you know, so the company, my father owned liquor stores in D.C. And our ideas of whiskey started with education. Um, you know, because one of the things that we realized in our liquor store was that as soon as somebody looks at the label, you know, they want to turn the bottle back to read the other side. And now they're not doing that because they want to see a picture in there. They obviously want to read more about the whiskey before they, they, and, and, and make an intelligent choice. So therefore, what we did consciously was we gave you a mash bill behind the whiskey uh, and we were the only ones to do that. And then we give you more information on the French casking and the dual casking, which, which is right on the bottle itself. So yeah, a couple of things that we do nicely and I'm proud of the fact. We're, we're a small producer and uh, uh, for us, it all starts with somebody saying that I like what you're doing. Uh, whether they like it in a cocktail, whether they like it on a, on a drum up, however they want to do it. So cocktails, you see the whole idea of cocktails was palatable, to make a whiskey which is more palatable, right? right. So the idea behind these whiskeys is, first of all, they sip great, straight up. Um, but think of, uh, think of a product like a Boondoggler, which is, uh, which is a blend of bourbon and rye. I don't think you mentioned that yet, um, but talk about that right. a little bit. So it's 50% rye, it's, 50% Right, so the, uh, bourbon, are, yeah? the third skew um, that we came out with, it's a, it's, a blend, it's, a, it's a blend of bourbon and rye, 50-50, and it's aged in a, in a total of five wine barrels. Um, so think of oxidation, think of conditioning, think of flavors. It's an organically created uh, whiskey. That, that's a very um, unusual thing to age in so many different barrels, and uh, it's got to be an expensive process. And then you also didn't mention yet that you use 12 different yeast strains, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I keep saying that whiskey is as good as a person making it. So the guy who makes it first has to be convinced of his processes. If he uses uh, a couple of yeast strains, which according to him are immaculate, then you do go with his gut feel. The industry standard is service AI. Um, the is yeast what? Service AI. I don't um, know what that means. It's another yeast uh, strain that, that, okay. that that's gold standard in the market. Okay. Um, everyone starts with their. The way we do our program is we don't have anything controlled inside the distillery. As far as temperature? As far as the temperature. Because so, some places, well, they'll increase the temperature, decrease the temperature, because yeah. that forces the whiskey in and out of the barrel, you see, the a, a, idea, in and out of the wood. And without, without being too educational about it, the idea of no, that's aging... No, that's what, that's what we're all about here is education. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, the idea of aging is that your, your proportion to wood to the whiskey. And therefore, summers and winters, the whiskey, the wood contracts and expands. The environment plays enough exposure or gives enough, enough exposure to our cask that we don't really have to age them uh, separately. You know what I mean? Um, and all four seasons, you've got sun, you've got rain, you've got summer, you've got winter. So the whiskey, the, the wood is contracting and expanding naturally. Yeah. Uh, and if, if it's, my father is a firm believer that if, uh, if nature is playing its own role, don't interject, don't play with it, let, let the wood, and we use a 53-gallon um, charred wood, limousine oak so as full, well. full-size barrels. Full-size barrels. Which, which uh, 
some some producers will use a smaller barrel to to uh, make the aging process happen a little faster, which which is doesn't make it bad. But no, it doesn't. And 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 um, and to each its own. Um, like I keep saying, the whiskey is as good as the person making it. If the person likes what he's producing, then there's nothing wrong with it. At least he's doing an honest effort. The way we we stand today in our in our uh, with filibusters standpoint, we're we're proud of the fact that we're using the best uh, raw materials, which is a local farmer that we that we use. Uh, we use the best grains, the best equipments, the best wood, charred wood. Wood. We the, nothing inside the distillery that we are doing is from our standards is is lower. It's right up there where we think whiskey after it's done, it's nothing but uh, a worth sharing. Yeah. Well, it's delicious stuff, and I, I, I really enjoy this rye whiskey. Cheers. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for hosting this event for us. Thank you very much. Thank we you for coming. appreciate it. Cheers. Appreciate it. All right. Happy holidays. Next week is Christmas. Not sure I'll get a show out, but uh, we'll be back very soon. We're planning a special episode all about the classic daiquiri for the first episode of the year. We've lined up a special guest for that episode, the rum ambassador, Ian Burrell. If you have something to say about the classic daiquiri or you have a particular recipe that you use, I'd love to hear about it. You can get in touch with me on the contact page at bartenderjourney.net slash contact. I'd love to hear from you about the daiquiri or for any reason at all. We need to start booking some guests for 2018, so if you think you'd be a good fit, please do get in touch. Again, use that form at bartenderjourney.net slash contact, or you can just email me at brian at bartenderjourney.net. Stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. But first, uh, I want to remember last week, or if you if you listened to last week's episode, it was all about Jim Meehan's bartender manual. And uh, Hazel was lucky enough to attend the, uh, the the book event that Jim gave at the New York, New York Distilling Company. So uh, she actually recorded the entire thing. And uh, we have that for you if you'd like to listen to the entire audio from Jim Meehan's uh, book event. Uh, we have that for you on our resources page. So if you go to bartenderjourney.net slash resources, you can listen to that entire thing. Hey, I want to read you something really cool out of Jim's book, Meehan's Bartender Manual. And he says, Bartenders and distillers serve as cultural custodians of customs and rituals. For example, most would agree that it's a good thing that you can buy classic Italian bitters like Aperol nearly everywhere to prepare the spritz, but you shouldn't separate the spirit and the recipe from aperitivo culture and Italy altogether. Bartenders and distillers are charged with preserving and promoting cultural heritage and tradition through thoughtful interpretations of historic recipes. I thought that was really cool. I just wanted to read that. We'll put up a link again to Jim's great book in the show notes to go along with this show. Happy holidays again. Thank you for listening to the Bartender Journey podcast. We really appreciate it, and we hope you have great holidays. If you're working, well, if you're working, don't work too hard. This time of year, a lot of people are putting in crazy amount of hours. If you're working New Year's Eve, keep everybody in line and have a great time. Hey, here's our toast. Here's to the present and to hell with the past, a health to the future, and joy to the last. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey podcast. Oh, oh, oh.